Hello, beautiful alchemist. Welcome to Reiki Radio. I am your host, Yolanda, and I am very excited to share today's episode with you. We're going to be talking about some modern magic. We're going to have a conversation with the seaside shaman. Her name is Athena. Now, over the years, um, what I have found is that a lot of Reiki practitioners often become uh, very curious about shamanism and even vice versa. People who may study shamanism first then often become curious about Reiki. There's definitely a relationship between these two uh, modalities and the um person that we speak to today, Athena, she is a practicing shaman and she considers it like a spirit therapy in a way, her work. There's just so much that she shares that is so beautiful in helping us to understand how shamanism can be used. The practices of it can be used to support our processes of healing and energetic alchemy and um, really seeing and recognizing ourselves in higher ways. So Athena was a born clairvoyant and she studied interior architecture. And then she became a practitioner of yoga, astrology. She studied anthropology. And then she got into this work and you will find out how and why and how it really supported her through a very tough time in life. But if you want to learn more about Athena and her work, be sure to visit soulmedicine.studio or seasideshaman.com. She also has authored a book called Leave with Love, and you can learn more about that on her website as well. I really, really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure you will. Um, One of the things I have been encouraging all of you to do is if you listen to an episode and you resonate with whomever we get to learn from in the episode, be sure to reach out to them. Let them know, ask your questions, share with them whatever it was that you enjoyed about their work and um, if you learned anything through their story. So we do talk about the impact of trauma, the role of shamanic healing, and the importance of self-care. So there will be a lot for you to chew on in this episode. Also want to let you know, beauties, if you go to my website, theenergeticalchemist.com, you can download, um, have free access to 22 Days of Transformation and Creating with the Moon and Stars just by signing up for my newsletter. You can also download my app, the Energetic Alchemist app. It's available through the um, Apple App Store as well as Google Play for Androids. And there's so much content there, Reiki tools, alchemy tools, guided journeys. I do daily readings every day with the Energetic Alchemist Oracle deck based on sign. So download that. And then finally, I am going to be hosting a virtual three-day live class at the end of August. And, you know, I get asked all the time when I will be doing a live event because most of the classes on my site are um, on demand. And it's been a while since I've done a live class virtually. So if you want to join me for that, come ask your questions, participate, just go to my website, 
theenergeticalchemist.com. Learn more about the course, sign up, save your seat. So that is it for now. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll see you on the other side. everyone welcome to this episode of reiki radio we are here with the beautiful athena and we're going to talk all about shamanism and bring in some reiki i'm really excited about this conversation so thank you so much for making time to come and share today oh thank you so much for having me yeah well even just our pre-chat my mind is already going with so many things (laughs) i would (laughs) love to ask you yeah and you know this is really a topic that a lot of people that listen to the podcast are curious about shamanism and Reiki, the blend of the two, how they work together. Um, A lot of times people fall into one and then it opens the door to the other. So we'll definitely get into that. Mm -hmm. But I, when reading about your bio and looking at your website, I thought you had such an interesting story and being born clairvoyant and kind of diverting, but always connected somehow to this work and then how that really opened up for you so if you could share with everyone a little bit about your journey that would be great yeah sure sure um so I actually work with all ages of humans (laughs) so I'm working with small people I work with kids I work with teens I work with adults mostly women Um, and I love working with kids and the parents will usually unknowingly bring the kids to me who are children with some special gifts and abilities. And the parents are like, I don't know what to do with this kid. Uh, sometimes their therapists will actually direct the parents to bring the child to me because I work with a lot of therapists as well. And I train them. And so I love being able to relate with the little people when they come in and be able to look them in their eyes and say, I know that what you're seeing is real. I know that what you're sensing is real. Let's talk about what do we do with that? So the same thing that I experienced that I didn't quite have that support with now I'm able to help other parents and kids with that and I have um, I'm a blended family with five kids but I have a few in the house that also see things as well and so I'm able to teach them a lot of the same um, skills what do we do with this when we see things so it's not strange conversation in our house for a kid to kind of randomly come to me, me and say hey like I saw this man on the ceiling last night or you know something like that or the person in the corner and we'll talk through it we'll sage the space we'll call in our angels it's not anything abnormal in our household no different than seeing like a roach on the floor right right um so when I was a kid though I remember seeing um like figures you know uh specifically there was this Native American man that would sit at the foot of my bed and I remember Uh, once going to mommy and being like hey mommy there's a man at the foot of my bed and she was like she came and looked and she's like no there's not you know and then like I would do strange things like I would sleepwalk um I would have visions and then um you know I got a couple years older and then I remember being told that uh it was imaginary friends that I was seeing Mm -hmm. and now I know it's usually like someone's loved ones that I'm seeing or it's a spirit guide Um, but as a kid, you don't know, you're just like, what is this? But I was just talking to someone yesterday that 
I was talking to our, one of our little cousins who's nine the other day and we were talking about my work. She was, we had, we had actually just met because she's my partner's cousin's daughter. And we were talking about what I do. And she's like, oh yeah, like spirit guides. And like, she knew all about it, nine years old. And she's like, I have one. And she starts telling me about her spirit guide's name and what she looks like and how at first she was just in her mind, but then she started to see her. I say, yeah, that's crazy how that happens. Like once we allow ourselves to make that connection, things start to crystallize and we can see them. Um, When I was a kid, it was the reverse. It was like, okay, so... um, people are telling me that I'm not seeing this. (laughs) So I'm just going to like tone it down. I'm going to turn it down. Right. So I actually was able to turn it off for the most part. And, you know, that looks like over the years, me feeling things, sensing things, but not necessarily seeing things. And you talk to a lot of adults. Now I train a lot of adults in this stuff and the adults, most of us did the same thing, but most adults are just now starting to wake up to the fact that, okay, so I am feeling this. This is valid. I am sensing this. There's more to what I am experiencing in my dreams and they're trying to piece it together. So I right. help people now to do that. Um, but my journey, it wasn't linear. I was an artist. That was how I got out all that spiritual creative energy. I started out in fine arts, went to college started in fine arts, then moseyed over to architecture. (laughs) And so I ended up graduating with that, going and working in architecture in DC. And then um, after like 10 years, I was over it. So we moved to to the beach where we are now. And, um, you know, I think it's on my story, but basically long story short, divorce, loss, all the things you could think of right when you think you're about to get your life together. <laughs> right, right. Um, it was my whole Saturn return. It was the tower card. It was uh-huh. life getting thrown upside down and shaken. And I was a mess and I ended up really sick. And I knew I didn't want to do architecture anymore. I was teaching yoga. Uh, I met a shaman who actually helped me to heal. And at that point she had said to me, Hey, I think you might want to consider doing a shaman training because <laughs> mm-hmm. she said, you have all these gifts that you're not using your, the women in your family have these gifts. Why don't you consider it? And I thought, okay, she probably says that to everyone. And I didn't really take it too seriously, but then I ended up meeting two other shamans. I'm a threes person. So I met two other shamans and I'd never met a shaman in my life. And I meet like three in one month. Right. So at that point, I couldn't deny the call. So I followed the call. I signed up for some trainings. I did several trainings over the years, and I just never had a chance to even think about the work. I just landed wow. in it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's a couple of things I have to ask you before we go on. One, with you working with kids, I think that's phenomenal because, you know, I, I think a lot of people will resonate with that, having at a young age, seeing, sensing, and, you know, being told it wasn't true, but one, does the Native American still come to you? And then also, have you noticed, um, or do you think because adults now, like our generations are more open to all of this, that it will allow children to develop more of what is just natural for them? 
Yeah. Oh, those are such good questions. Okay. The first question to the Native American guy, I think he is still with me. With me. <laughs> I have so many guides that a lot of times I, I don't, I actually turn off clairvoyance because it's, it is too much to feel, to hear, to sense, to see. It is a lot. So I turn right. it on and off. I've actually had my brain mapped and it shows that I'm able to uh, move between altered states at will with my shifting my thalamus like a light switch. And so I'm able to turn off clairvoyance and control what I see in any given moment. When I'm in sessions with clients, I turn the switch up, right? right. I use clairvoyance. When I am living my daily life, I turn it off. <laughs> yeah, And I can't turn off so much the hearing and the sensing, but I can turn off the seeing. And I just explained this to my daughter that it's because she also has gifts as I do, that it's kind of like a viewfinder that we can use a little clicker and we can choose yeah. what pictures we see. And so that's how I was describing it to my eight-year-old, that if you want to see certain things, you just use the clicker and then you can see what's right in front of you. But if you don't want to see it, then you use the clicker and you just imagine in your mind clicking to a different image. So, um, to answer with a Native American guide, there are times where I'm communing with my guides and I see more of a, a whole group of them. So uh, I've never actually thought about that, but I'm sure he's in that group. <laughs> There's some that are really close and louder and more direct for where I am right now in my journey. I think at different times, different ones step in. I actually just heard, I think he just said this in my head, uh, that he's a protector. Right. So as a child, he was he was functioning as a protector. Now I don't need that as much. I, I have guys right now that are helping me a lot more with parenting, with my business, with guiding and teaching others. So he's a little bit in the background. Um, what was the other question? <laughs> uh, do you think that with parents being more open oh, to yeah. this work now, like that will support these next generations coming up? I mean, it seems like that would have a profound impact on culture yes. as people are raised with more openness to their sensitivity. A hundred percent. I love that you just use the word sensitivity. So from what I've been shown, we're in this moment where we have entered into a new age, right? The age mm -hmm. of Aquarius. So we're in a new vibrational state of being as a whole. And there's some people are kind of hanging on to the old, like grasping because that was really <laughs> comfortable and they yeah. don't want to leave what was comfortable. Like that relationship, you know, you were supposed to leave. But when we move into the new, everything is new and different. The way we work, the way we relate, what our marriages are like and how we parent. And so we're finding that more kids are now here on this planet. And as a shaman, I can comfortably say from other planets, right? Yes. The children have come here and some of us parents have as well to usher the children in. And we have clear missions with our children. So the children are coming in from other planes with different levels of sensitivity, just like some of us had, but theirs is next level, right? Like I look at my child sometimes like, this is like me on crack. <laughs> right? I thought my abilities were insane. This child is off the charts. And so there's a lot of them coming in with high level sensitivities. That's when the word I think can be misunderstood though. Their ability yeah. to sense is very high level. But in our culture today, a lot of the adult humans don't have that same sensory perception. So they use words like disorder. 
Right, right, right. right. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just more evolved. These kids are more evolved than we are. Their ears are more evolved. Their senses are more evolved. So when they're perceiving things, it feels so much bigger than it does for us because they're literally higher level sensitivity, higher level sensing, right? Not sensitivity like when we were kids and we were told, oh, you're so sensitive, right? Right, right. But but in terms of their ability to sense is next level, their ability to sense sound. So these children are being diagnosed left and right and drugs, right? Diagnosed mm-hmm. left and right with ADHD, autistic spectrum disorder. Um, oh, here's another one. Um, the, the defiance disorder. <laughs> I saw a kid recently, oppositional defiance disorder, where they say like, oh, this child has oppositional defiance. And really that child is here to break molds and not follow what you tell them to do. Because if they follow what you tell them to do, we're going to manifest the same world that we've been trying to dismantle and so there's children here that are like why do we do that I'm not doing that that's stupid right because they already know they know better so yes we have parents that their souls came here they chose to parent these really special humans I am a huge comic book fan and like comic movies so x-men I always think about professor x and his special school for kit for the gifted um, superhero kids like mutants (laughs) <laughs> so if you watch it, you see these kids that their families that were horrified by their abilities. So Professor X would take these kids in and train them how to use their abilities. Sometimes I think that's my role with kids as well. And my, I have, like yeah. I said, I have five in my house, but other kids as well, friends, clients, um, but also adult kids that are learning how to work with their abilities. You know, it's so interesting because I mean, this wasn't something I thought we were going to talk about but because you know the nature of the conversation it's also making me think of how because you do work with all ages so even beyond the children working with the parents how much has intuition and your ability to like I guess see your kids even beyond the surface how much has that helped with parenting and do you have people come for that type of um, work as well Yes, I love I love helping parents when they are struggling with their children. Um, I will have parents come in whose children are autistic spectrum disorder, Mm -hmm. which I tell them right off the bat, I'm like, it's not a disorder. (laughs) Okay, Mm -hmm. so I say your kid is more evolved, and so they're sensing differently, they're feeling differently, and then I'll explain to them here's what this feels like for your child because I can feel it in my own body. Uh, sometimes I act as a mirror. That's what, so I do work with medical tuition. I work with mirroring so I can be with someone, feel what they feel, and then translate that to another person, whether it's their partner, their parent, the child. And so with the parents, I'm able to explain, Hey, when your kid hears this type of sound, here's what it feels like to them. You know, Mm -hmm. that sound might not affect you as much, but it sounds like nails on a chalkboard or it triggers a certain memory that starts to play like a broken record. So if Mm -hmm. I can explain those things to the parent, then they can be really mindful about the environmental triggers that are there present in their household. I had one person that I was like, oh, their kid, really, he needs some soft textural things on the wall because he has this insatiable need to just like stroke things around him. Mm -hmm. So we talked about hanging some textural things on the wall, sensory things. 
Also, I remember one, he had a thing with, I want to say like pom-poms or something that triggered him. It was like the the look that he could feel the texture of the pom-poms and, he, and, and she had them out thinking these are a great art thing. And they, for whatever reason, just gave him skeevies. And I was like, I don't know why, but here's how, just like some other things might give you skeevies if you looked at it, those yeah. pom-poms are giving this kid the skeevies, right? So then you understand, oh, and then you can move it out of their environment. Um, mm-hmm. So in that way, I love helping parents. And in my own household, the intuition piece definitely helps with parenting, with seeing what my kids are struggling with. My daughter the other day, she, I, I joke sometimes that my daughter's Pippi Longstocking. She loves to <laughs> create bizarre crafts with nature things and water and so we're always finding weird buckets of water in the house with (laughs) stuff from outside and bugs and we live on the water so she will bring crabs into the house I'm like let's keep them in the garage or on the deck so she'll just do things and if she knows that she shouldn't do it that I wouldn't want her to do it then she'll do it anyway rather than ask right so we had this conversation the other day and she lied to me and I said well why did you lie and she's like well I did this I did that and my intuition told me that's not what she was thinking that's not what she felt and I heard very clearly she did it because she figured if she asked you you would say no (laughs) right (laughs) so I opened that dialogue with her I was like hey do you feel like maybe you didn't ask me because you were afraid I would say no She's like, yes. Right. So that opened up. So here's what we could do in the future when you're afraid that I might say no to something. And there are times where that helps. Yeah. Yeah. But it's amazing to just think of how conversational that is. I mean, the fact that you would even in that circumstance, make it a conversation with your child, because I think of how often, you know, with parents, like you do something you weren't supposed to do, you're just in trouble. And there's not there's no dialogue around it. You're just right. in trouble. So yeah. that in of itself is really beautiful. It's funny you mentioned about the visuals because I'm very funny about visuals too. I mean, literally <laughs> like certain things just make my skin crawl yeah. and it can be like someone had a, um this uh, art that like had burnt edges, yeah. these little circular something. Oh, and it just literally, and I know I sounded so crazy to them, but I was like, yeah. I, I can't yeah. even deal with this image. <laughs> like, I can't. <laughs> exactly. That's how some of these kids feel. Yeah. yeah. And adults, clearly, right? Not just kids, like special no, adults. <laughs> there, yes, there are certain, listen. Yeah, I can like, give you a list of things, but I won't today. Um, but another thing I wanted to circle back to when this all started to open up for you when you were going through the cycle of like loss and so much transition and um (laughs) yeah I just think of like all the stories of people entering into like that dark night cycle or for me I called it being spiritually undone it was just Mm. unreal but when that happened and you met the three shamans Prior to doing the work with them, were you already familiar with shamanism or was this something you were just like, eh? And then what did you think about it at first? Yeah, I was not familiar at all. Um, I had studied in college. I actually was a credit away from a minor in anthropology. So I knew it a little bit through the anthropological lens. I was fascinated Mm -hmm. by anthropology, but 
in the end, I was like, what am I going to do with this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I just kept taking the classes and I knew I was moving in the direction of architecture and that I didn't really see how the two could support each other, but I just knew I was interested. So I took these classes uh, in university. I took classes in sociology, philosophy, study a lot of Buddhism. I studied yoga in depth in college. And then I went on to later do yoga teacher training. Um, and nowhere does shamanism come up for me. I was reading tarot cards for fun. I was doing all kinds of stuff. But when I met the shaman, I was desperate, right? A lot of people come to a shaman out of desperation. They've tried everything in Western medicine. They've tried the meds. They've done the testing, and nothing's helping them because the root is spiritual or emotional or mental. And so the shaman that I went to in the beginning, it was all new. She put me on a table, you know, like a Reiki table. I was a little familiar with Reiki at that point. I hadn't had Reiki done. And she, so I wasn't weirded out by the table. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But she did do some stuff where I was laying on the table. She just had some relaxing music on, but she would like shake out my leg. And I was like, what is she doing? Um, And in the end, she kind of flipped me over, told me to sit up. And she just said to me, what are you sad about? And I was like, oh, I just started crying. And just tell her all the things I was sad about. And I felt um, this safety with her, you know, and she was able to say things and channel things to me that there was no way she could have known. So that was my first experience of, okay, I don't know what this person is. She has a very grandmother energy. She's wise. She's safe. And she was also very human. So she wasn't, she didn't look like some of the shamans we meet look like hippies, you know, really long hair. I trained with some of them, the long skirt. They have a look, they have a look. She didn't have that. She had on jeans, tennis shoes, and a (laughs) t-shirt. Right. She's a little bit older. And I love that. I felt safe with that. And I felt comfortable with it. But yeah, as I met the other shamans, I still hadn't really studied it or read up on it because I was so engulfed in my health, trying to get my health in order that I didn't have time to really study that. I do remember at the time I was digging very deeply into past lives. And I was digging very deeply into the study of angels, which at the time I was thinking of angels as our loved ones who have crossed over because I really wanted to connect with my mom, like really wanted to connect with her. And so I was reading everything I could learning about past lives because I, I had this innate feeling that if I could find evidence of past lives, then I would heal right? Then I would know that, okay, I'm going to see her again. I needed evidence that I was going to see her again. So I was turning to a lot of resources on how to connect with your loved ones who have passed and evidence that past lives exist, that we come back. And so that was my first tiptoe into shamanism kind of before I met the shamans. And once I met the shamans, I realized, because they kept saying to me, you have these these women in your family are literally just standing around you all the time. So I'm like, oh, okay. And they would be like, your mom, your grandma, your great grandma, like they're all right around you and they want you to go this path. So at that point, I started to understand that they were with me, that I could communicate with them and I wanted to learn how. 
And that's how I ended up in the shaman training. That is amazing. I don't know what that like really like did something in my heart when you said that, like, I just needed evidence that I would see her again. And then as you were talking, you know, the curiosity came up of, so what was that like when you realized you didn't have to even wait for another lifetime, but that you could connect with her now. Um, But also you said, you know, sometimes the root of the issue is spiritual. And I think that's one of the big missing elements, obviously, of Western medicine. And so I wanted to ask you a bit about that, what that was like coming into the realization that we're never disconnected from our loved ones. But then also, could you talk a little bit about the effects of trauma and these, these issues that we have that are rooted in a very emotional or spiritual way? Right. What, what can you share about that before we get into the shamanic healing? Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's good. Good, good stuff. Okay. Um, so trying to wrap up, wrap it, wrap all the answers into one there. (laughs) Um, so regarding the way that I felt when I did find the evidence, right. Cause I was finding studies from university of Virginia where doctors and researchers have studied past lives with children and adults. And then I started reading Brian Weiss, you know, past Mm -hmm. lives, um, messages from the masters, only love is real, many lives, many masters. And I ended up studying with Brian Weiss. I ended up going up to New York, traveling, studying with him and learning so much more. Um, so once I had the evidence I started to feel a lot more relaxed, a lot of, I felt relief. And it was shortly after I saw the first shaman, which by the way, I had been sick for about seven months, um, really sick, vomiting every day, pain. I thought I had cancer because I had lost three family members to cancer in the year before. And so I thought for sure it was, that's what it was. And the doctors couldn't figure it out. The night that I left the shaman, because she said, you have to heal or it will become cancer. Mm -hmm. So I go home that night. I'm like blown away by this woman. And then I'm telling everybody about it, all the things she said about mommy and, you know, the things. And they're like, did she tell you how to heal? And I'm like, oh no, she didn't. (laughs) So I sat down, I just prayed and I asked God, I was like, God, what can I do to grieve? How, How do I grieve? And I heard write mommy a letter so I was like okay so I wrote her a letter that first night and then the next day I woke up and I was healed right so I was like whoa and it took me a while to believe that I was healed and I've talked about that a little bit so I've I've taught on some chronic pain retreats and things like this and I and I tell people I understand that you might not believe that you can be healed. And then when you are healed, you're still not going to believe that you're healed until some time has passed, but right. hold the belief in the beginning that you can heal. Don't be afraid of that. And then once you do heal, keep affirming to yourself, I am healed. I am healed because your mind can continue to recreate illness in your body. Yeah. Uh, so for a while to make sure that I didn't get sick again, I would just keep writing those letters to her. And one night, um, my daughter was very young. This was when I, I was pregnant when she passed away. So my daughter was a small baby 
And some months before she was born, I was laying in bed one night and I heard that crackling static sound, like on the, the when we used to have the real telephone. And mm-hmm. if your line was jumbled, it would be like, right? Yeah. So I heard the staticky phone sound in my ear. And then I heard my mom's voice on the other side. And she was like, you know, like you there? And I was like, oh my God. So I remember at the time with my um, former husband, I was like, oh my God, I heard mommy. <laughs> right? And she was trying to get through. It was like a phone line and that was it. It just went away. And I was so bummed out. So months later, I had my daughter, I'm laying in bed. She's probably a few weeks old. I can't sleep. I also, I also struggled with insomnia. And so I'm looking at her, I'm, I'm thinking of everything I can do. I've taken everything I can take to sleep. I'm looking at this baby and she's just like laid out with her body all splayed out, her arms out, just knocked out on her back. And I never sleep on my back because I feel like I leave my body. And that night I was just like, I should just try to lay like this baby and see if I can go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I put my body like the baby, almost in a funny way. I was kind of laughing at myself too when I did it. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm just going to lay like this baby. <laughs> so I lay <laughs> on my back, spread my arms out and I'm instantly out of my body. And all of a sudden I'm with my mom. And it was like in the movies, I talk about Dr. Strange movie a lot. I make people in my trainings watch watch it and so there are these scenes where you're kind of floating out in the galaxies it's just dark it's just black you can see a little bit of the galaxy so I'm just floating in the galaxy but she's talking to me and her voice is this almost like omnipresent voice in the air around me and I'm like mommy and she's like hey she's like I knew you were gonna find me she said that she's like I knew you were gonna find me I was like oh my god I knew it was you a couple months ago when I when I thought I heard you and we're having this conversation I can't see her but her voice is around me and I'm like man I'm telling her like I miss you blah 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 and then um she's telling me some things about death I'm asking her questions about death and then I said well what was it like to die And she says, well, it was weird. It was like kind of rising. And then she put me into the experience of dying. So I felt my body rising through almost like a mist, like clouds and mist. And she's like, so it's like rising and then you fall. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, were you scared? And she's like, no. And then she gave me the sensation of the fall. And it wasn't scary at all. It was this full on release almost like a trust fall where you know you're going to land in something soft and cushy and so ever since that moment where I met her on the other side I never feared I also feared death until that moment I never feared death I was over uh, I don't want to say over but I had healed the the deep pain of my grief I still cry and get sad about her not being there but the deep pain and illness that I felt at her not being present here was gone so I changed my relationship with that pain uh I think um gosh I've never heard it put in that in those terms before but the illness I felt yeah at them being gone and I think that I I feel like so many light bulbs will go off just from people hearing that because that's literally what it feels like. And it ties in so beautifully with that understanding that you shared of, you know, if you didn't allow the grief to occur, that it could have become a serious illness. But that is like, it's, yeah, 
Anyway, yeah. that that's amazing. Um, it's also interesting you mentioned about leaving the body. It's funny because I, I, it started when I was 15. I remember vividly the first time, but having those experiences at night of like, oh yeah. God, like <laughs> feeling like, oh my God, like oh, something's trying to take me out of my body. You don't have to come, <laughs> we'll have to have a whole nother conversation about that one day. Yeah. But also um, a few years back, it was before COVID. I remember I was very concentrated on um, uh, like the death of the shadow self or this type of thing. I was like really trying to understand what does this mean and blah, blah, blah. And this one night I had this very vivid dream of my death. And at the moment it happened, I felt myself leaving my body and just having this thought of like, oh man, kind of like, it wasn't scary. It didn't feel bad. It was just like, oh man, like, you know, kind of like, exactly. (laughs) That's what it felt like. And I felt it, it felt so real, like leaving my butt and I woke up and I was like, what the hell? Like, I mean, like touching, like, am I still here? That's how real it was. But I remember thinking like, is that really what it's like? Like, it just felt so just like, dang, like. Yeah, yeah. Like not so big. It didn't feel so big. Like we make it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, that, that was really strange. But okay, so you go through all of this and you literally have not just the evidence, but the experience of connecting with your mom, conversing with your mom, all of this. And did that then prompt you to go deeper into the path of shamanism? And then what could you talk a little bit about what it is just in general for people who may not know what from your lens, what is shamanism? Yeah, yeah. So my like two second elevator pitch. For <laughs> yeah, because a lot of people when I and I used to not say that I was a shaman. It took me years uh-huh. to be honest with strangers about what I do. So for yeah. years, people say, "So what do you do?" And I'd be like, "Oh, I'm a yoga teacher," <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I just wouldn't tell them. Uh, and then finally, one day I broke through that, and I was like, "I'm a shaman." So I started being really proud, and I, I. Actually, for a couple of years, too, I remember when I started to dance the line of feeling comfortable to claim the title. I remember I would run into elder shamans that were in their 60s. Usually it was a very specific subgroup of shamans, white women in their 60s. (laughs) No offense to the ones listening. And so they would be like, oh, so you call yourself a shaman. (laughs) Well, who did you train with? How long have you been doing it? Have you done the rites of Mununaki? You know, so I'd be like, no, and I don't know what that is. (laughs) Okay. So there are many approaches to shamanism, just like there are approaches to connecting with God, right? So you can choose a religion, you can choose a religion to connect with God, but you don't have to, you can choose a specific sector of shamanism to connect with the spirit world, or you can choose not to. But shamanism in a nutshell is the act of working with the spirit world on behalf of others and our planet, right? And that could also include animals and the others um, or the planet. (laughs) So for me, I say in my elevator pitch, I work with the spirit world on behalf of others and our planet. And essentially that's it. That's literally it. I am constantly channeling to people messages, healing. So Reiki is the practice of channeling light energy, right? Chi, 
you can channel uh, bigger life force energy from source, from God, whatever you believe. You can channel color energy. There's all kinds of cool color healing modalities right now. Actually, my my shaman that I initially trained with does a lot of that. Um, and you can channel words, stories to help others to heal, right? So for me in the beginning, when I was searching for evidence, it was hearing the stories that actually helped me to heal. It wasn't even it wasn't even a non-physical life force chi moving through my body. It was the stories, me telling my story, me hearing the stories of others, me hearing my mom's story. The stories actually heal, right? And the stories actually restore faith and belief, which opens us up to assistance from the divine. So a lot of times I'm also helping people to open up and call out for help because so many people today don't believe that help is available. So they suffer yeah. with anxiety. They suffer with these things. They suffer with so much fear because they think that they have to be the one to do all the things. And they think they know all the things and they don't have to. So they come to me and a lot of times I'm reminding my clients, did you ask for help with this? <laughs> okay, let's do it right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> so the angels, I say sometimes, and I'll say specifically with angels, but it works with guides, you know. Uh, there's different helpers that help with different things, but they're on standby waiting to help. They're like the big brothers and sisters of the spirit realm, but they're also kind of like the paramedics, the firemen, you know, the emergency ambulance. It doesn't just show up at your house. You have to call it, <laughs> you know? Yes. So, so many people are like, did you ask for help? Even my son who's 19, I just had to remind him last week when he was flying out to LA, I'm like, Hey, you know, he's all worried. Like, what if I miss my plane? The line is going really slow, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, hi, let me just ask the angels to help. Right. Yeah. I swear to God, all of a sudden the line starts moving and he's like, whoa, <laughs> right. He knows, he knows. I'm like, don't forget to ask for help because yeah. you're sitting there wasting energy on anxious thinking, you know, what if this, what if that just ask for help and then let it go and watch it unfold you know, the way you want it to. No, of course. It's funny. I have this conversation too about, you know, how we're in this realm of free will. And, you know, if you broadcast out for assistance, it'll show up in many forms. It made me think of this was actually the example I gave. Did you ever see the movie The Labyrinth? Oh, David David Bowie. Yes. (laughs) So I was thinking about how the goblins were on like the edge waiting for her to say the right words so they could bring her to the Goblin King. Remember? Because they couldn't do it until she said the right words. Right. I was like, I feel like that's like our guides. Like, they're just like, just ask us, just ask us. I do that with my kids. Like, you know, if they're my daughters, I've mentioned her earlier, so strong willed, right? She, we came here to be together. And so she, since she was one years old, wanted to do everything by herself. It's so frustrating for a mother who is, is like, I am here to help you. You know, my daughter's like, no. I don't want your help. Let me do it. Started when she was one years old. So she will, I remember she would struggle to zip her zipper and she would be to the point of like crying, right? To zip her zipper on her jacket. But she was like, you know, two years old fumbling with the zipper and and on. And I'd be like sitting there watching her suffer. And then after a minute or so, because I knew she wanted to learn how to do it herself and I knew she didn't want my help. Then after a minute or so of suffering and tears, I'd say, do you want me to help you with it? She'd be like, no. 
right? She would say no. So the helpers are also thinking we want to learn. Right. So they don't step in. But when you ask for help, they don't judge us. They lovingly step forward and help us in the ways we need help. But I love what yeah. you said about the Goblin King because, whoa, my mind got blown for a second because right now it's so important for people to know. And I hope a lot of people hear me say this on your podcast that just like you said, there are negative forces. There's positive forces and negative forces. This is the laws of the universe. There are negative forces also waiting for you to have those negative thoughts. Yeah. for them to help you to manifest so the yeah. angels can help you manifest what you want and then there's some forces that can help you manifest the things that you don't actually want that you said <laughs> right yes <laughs> right. so and that's why we thought. have that phrase of like be careful what you ask for because like who are you asking though it it may show up in a whole different way than what you were expecting but oh my also, god i just made an epiphany oh <laughs> what up literally as you were speaking I was like oh my god I said this to my man on oh what day was it Friday I think Friday we had all the kids in the car we were driving to BJ's which is like a Costco you know big store and um our kids in the car who is a job four small ones in the car so half of them were like we want the windows down the other half were like it's too hot we want the windows up you know so we're like what do we do and then I'm in the front like I want the air on and I want the windows up because it's 90 some degrees outside and so my partner was like I really like the windows open and he's like I hate the AC or no he said I yeah I think he says I'm like I hate the AC or something like that on Friday on Saturday, our AC in our house broke. I swear. And I <laughs> made that connection because I said to him in the moment, I was like, you take that back. <laughs> like literally in the moment, I was like, don't say that because the AC will break. Don't say that. And he he did. He said it out loud. Right. And then he is a, such a hot body. His hot body behind had to sleep in 82 degrees on Saturday night. Wow. And not wow. funny. It's funny because you, I mean, you've just put more emphasis on the power of words, which goes back to something you said earlier. I forget what you were saying, but um, it also gave, you know, recognition of that, the power of our words and what it is that we're calling into creation just through what we speak. So I know that we're almost out of time. I want to ask you about shamanism and Reiki, but before that, I also have to, we could talk all day. I I also have to ask you about the past lives and ancestral connection because you've mentioned past lives a few times and Mm -hmm. now it is more common that people are very curious about connecting with you know their ancestry in terms of healing um and then sometimes we may have guides or guardians come in from very specific backgrounds and even though you may not be of that culture now maybe you were in another life who knows right? right So what is your experience or even thoughts around those lines of past life and healing? Yeah, totally. Um, So what's really interesting, and I was thinking about this earlier, is that in all my past life studies, training, all the workshops, seminars, all the shaman work I've done, I can't recall any of my journeys where I actually connected with a past life with my mom. And that's what I sought out to do, right? So that's really interesting. The past lives and the moments that I kept coming back to, 
um, were around specific traumas in past lives and how those were affecting me in my present. And some mm -hmm. of those traumas were shared um, ancestrally and some of those were my own that came down the line. From what I've seen and experienced in my shamanic experience is that there are threads of connection between ancestral lineage and past lives because we journey in clans, we journey in mm -hmm. soul groups, right? And there's a lot of books on this. Um, Caroline Mace writes about this, Sacred Contracts, um, Journey of Souls, Destiny of Souls. Like those are books that can give you a really good, thorough look at what what it looks like for us to travel in a soul group or a soul clan. But in a nutshell, your um, close family you travel together again and again and and certain friends and teachers and you change your roles just like in theater, right? Mm -hmm. And so you will share certain um, energies, fears, patterns. Patterns has been coming up a lot for me and traumas. You'll share them. There might be a trauma that was experienced by your great-great-grandmother that you're finding yourself somehow triggered in ways as if you had experienced it, but you hadn't. Yeah. It's in your DNA. It's in your coding. And so you carried those stories forward because those stories were never resolved. So mm -hmm. what's really important when we're doing any of this work is, and why this work is important. And I'm also, my eye just went to the um, the artwork on the wall behind you, which is the sacred yeah. geometry, right? And it's all about coding and patterns and seeing them and healing them and using them, using them for good. So when we have these patterns, if we keep telling the same story, right? And we, we just talked about manifesting. Men mm -hmm. are this, right? So right. I had these stories in my DNA about men specifically and white men specifically. And I recently have said my partner, who's a white man, and I are breaking through and doing ancestral healing together, yeah. right? We're doing it together. My partner has actually done past life work and seen himself as a black slave in a past wow. life. But in this life, he came in as a privileged white man, right? Mm -hmm. So he has an empathy that if you didn't know that he carried that somehow in his genetic coding and, and past life memory, like his cellular memory, he remembers after he did the past life journey where he saw that he remembers that it was very emotional and it also related very much to some of the patterns in his life in this round even mm -hmm. though he looks differently right yeah so for us together he's healing his storyline i'm healing my storyline and this man is showing up as a wonderful father and breaking through all those stories that I carried forward. And now we create new stories moving forward. That's why this work is really important because our words are so powerful, even if the words are in our DNA. Sometimes we think it, but we might not say it. So if we think those things like, ugh, all white men are this, all, you know, then we're carrying yeah. forward, then we're creating that reality. But if we can adapt a new story in our DNA, and move forward with that story, then we're creating a new reality, not just for ourselves, but for our collective. So that's what's really, um, I would say, 
fantastic about this moment in time is that we're having so many couples coming together from different religious backgrounds, from different cultural backgrounds, um, different age groups, even you're having couples come together with an older person and a younger person. So you're having this, this happen in this moment. And all those old stories are being deconstructed and broken down and new stories are being created. And so as our children that we mentioned in the beginning, take over, our children are literally encoded with these new stories. And we have an entirely new reality that we're all yeah. going to be living in. Oh, it's fascinating. It, it's interesting too. And I want to ask you about journeys um, as yeah. well. It is interesting when you do this work, the things that do come into your awareness, because that happened to me. Um, I'll tell you offline. I'm not gonna, but it was but it was it was like something I wasn't expecting but it was very much like and it's funny you say it was like a great great grandmother and I saw it so vividly and I could feel like the energy the healing of it moving through my body and I just I mean I was in awe like what in the hell it was it, it, it was unreal um but in that vein I want to ask you about journeys because a lot of times when we hear about shamanism we hear about journeys and a lot of people don't know what that is and what's the purpose. And you did mention working with the spirit realm for the benefit of us and earth herself. So could you talk a little bit about what shamanic journeys are and how that contributes to our healing? Yeah. So um, when we're moving through a shamanic journey, I'll say when I was first taught to journey, I was taught where the shaman journeys for the individual, right? Or mm-hmm. um, I go, if we're in session, I go in journey, you just kind of lay down and then I come back and I tell you what I've seen or done in the astral realm. Then over time, my helpers, my guides, my um, spirit teachers would tell me, take that person with you, right? Like, don't you just go take them with you. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. So what I started doing was some weird mix of like hypnosis and shamanic journey. So I would actually enter the altered state, take you into an altered state, very much similar to a hypnotic regression. And then we would go together through time space to very specific memories. Um, what I'm feeling called to use as like a visual to explain that is, um, we're walking out of our present reality as a bubble and then stepping into another bubble, which is another reality, another moment, another time and space, right? So we step out of this one into that one. We can go to as many as we want, as many moments or bubbles in time. And we go into those bubbles in time and we essentially, what I said, we change the stories, And once you change the story, one, you look at the story, you see the truth of the story all around with new um, enlightened eyes, right? So you look at the story. And then what I do with my clients is we do change the story. So the way that we remember things is sometimes skewed, unfortunately, right? It's skewed from, it's like that old saying where if there's a, an accident, right, a car accident, and there's a person on each corner of the street, each person on each corner is going to have a different story. And depending where you are, your story might be more traumatic. So we go back and we change the perspective a bit. We gain some understanding. And sometimes I'll take it as far as um, actually rewriting the story entirely. So when mm-hmm. I'm working with women with trauma, and I work with a lot of women with sexual trauma, 
when we go back to those moments and I do it very gently, um, we go back to those moments. I usually let them know right off the bat, we're not going to relive the trauma. We're going to go to the moments right before and the moments right after, because you, most women today are still carrying some guilt, anger, frustration, shame around how they handled it, what they did after, what they didn't do after, what they should have done before. That's really where all the anxiety lies. So we go back to before, just before, and just after, and we rewrite. Uh, Sometimes I'll have them change the story entirely to where it's like, oh, you, you know, and without going too graphic, maybe there's a man on top and you see it, but this time you fight him. You do the thing that you wish you would have done. So you were too scared to fight him. You went into fight or flight, you froze. And so now when we go back to the moment, you're fighting him, you pull out a weapon, you kick him off, you run out, you're safe. So what does that feel like to now be safe? So then we change the story and the after effects kind of on a cellular level because stories carry across time, right? So in their spirit, something happens where because they replayed that scene out in a different way, gave themselves some grace for how they handled it in the other scenario, came back into the present moment and we accept what is and we live from it would have been nice and then we're able to move forward in our power. So I do a lot of that type of work where we will rewrite stories. Journey is also helpful for present time where if we have, um, you know, we've talked a lot about grief today, but I've had people come in, they're grieving a person and through shamanic journey, we exit this bubble of this present moment moment, and we go into another reality where we can be with that person just for a moment and we can have an actual conversation with their actual soul. So it's very difficult to explain kind of uh, from a vibrational sense how our souls are able to connect. But if you can think about it like um, two, I'm, I'm being shown the, when when you go into the ambulance, and they shock your heart. What is that machine called? AED machine. The fibrillator. Yeah. Oh, the fibrillator AED. Yeah, yeah. 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 The AED machine when they like put the two together and it like shocks mm-hmm. and it can bring your heart back to life. So what I'm being shown is that when we come together with someone in a vibrational sense who we've lost and I'm able to connect you just for a moment to see them and talk to them and you know it's real you know you're actually with them just like I knew I was with my mama then you connect almost like the defibrillator and there's like an electrical jolt that runs through your body through your heart space your heart actually comes back to life and you're feeling a lot more relief and you're actually feeling um, some healing energy around the pain that you felt with the grief so yeah. that's another way that we use shamanic journey is to connect with someone who's who's gone, but we can use it to connect with someone who's very much alive right now. <laughs> and so yeah. I've also done that with where I have, if a wife can't talk to her husband about something, we can go into a journey and talk to his soul. If a daughter can't talk to her dad about something, we can go to a journey and talk to his soul. And people come back to me with the craziest stories about <laughs> how in real world, something happened to validate that the journey was real. Right. Yeah. Right. It's so amazing because I mean, you're making me think of several recent conversations, but one of the things that you said when you're talking about rewriting the story, especially for women that may have gone through, you know, something very traumatic, it, it came to mind the feeling even of rewriting the story. Right. So like that powerful, again, even thinking about like the power of word and the power of storytelling 
but the feeling that that would then invoke to help someone who was feeling out of their power to reclaim that simply through the visualization, the storytelling, the but the energetics of um, being able to, I don't want to say touch the past, but like that whole idea of how everything is now, like we're holding it all now. Yeah, God, that would be like a yes. other we have so many things to talk about, right? But but the feeling in that as well, like how powerful that is, just the transformation of feeling. But when you said about the journeys um, as well, it made me think of Reiki and that, yeah. you know, when we do what people call remote or distant sessions, we're really just dissolving the illusion of separation and that we can be in, or we're already in connection, but to realize our connection to other. And, you know, you could do energy work for someone who's on the other side of the planet. Right. right. And I think sometimes we really think about like, do you realize what we're doing? Like we're literally just bringing our awareness to the fact that we're separate from no thing. And in that, of course, even through the journey of consciousness, cause it's not like we're physically, you're not like going for a walk through space and time. Like it's this journey of consciousness right and like in that there is no limitation so of course you can journey into all space time and dimension and in connection with memory and people and yes. i mean it's fascinating when you think of it from that lens of what we're capable of it's so cool it's, it's so very cool, cool. <laughs> i mean it just it that this is why i say i think i stay in this work and stay so curious because i'm i'm fascinated every day yeah it's unbelievable but so then that ties into, I want to ask you about the connection between Reiki and shamanism, because you are very familiar with this. And a lot of people are curious and, you know, they start with one and then yeah. become curious about the other. What has your experience been with working with these two modalities? Right. So I teach both. And generally when I get to like a Reiki master mid season, cause it's a six month training when I lead Reiki master, mm-hmm. I continuously am making a distinction when I'm teaching. Okay. So this is more shaman. This is more master, but you're going to do both. <laughs> right. So right. it's almost like you have a tool bag and you have different tools and you're like, all right, this is, you know, the, the wood hammer and this is the metal hammer, but you're going to use both. So being able to discern the difference is helpful, mainly for the sake of whoever comes to you so that you can set some boundaries. Some people are not going to be as open to spirit world stuff. Some mm-hmm. people are. So that allows you to reach different groups of people. If some people are more uh, open to Reiki because the medical community is embracing it now. It's growing right. kind of like rapid fire in hospital systems, uh, medical care systems. So is healing touch. So there are some that are widely accepted. Shamanism is still working its way into the game, even though mm-hmm. it's the oldest. <laughs> yeah, right? I don't understand that. But I, I, I would say I do understand because it was pulled out of the game because it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Shamanism is I would say tremendously more powerful than Reiki work because, and the only reason because, because you're reaching out to a host of powerful beings. Well, that's what I was going to say. I'm sure that's why a lot of people are kind of like, eh, because it's very clear 
that you're yeah. working with other realms. Whereas with Reiki, there are some practitioners that yeah. do, some that don't, blah, right. blah, blah. You know, yeah, you have yeah, a spectrum. Yeah. But I mean, shamana, you can't deny that. Yeah, it's, I yeah. mean, and it can be scary. You know, people that yeah. come into my shaman training, a lot of people come in with fear, but they know me, they see me, they see I'm a pretty normal looking lady. <laughs> <laughs> so they feel safe you know some people right. are like oh, I don't want to be witchy or I don't want to be this and I get witches too but then it's funny because I have some people that are like I don't want to be witchy but then I have witches that are like I don't want to talk about God you know so it's like you have all yeah. the things people are trying to decide which realms they want to work with which ones right. they're comfortable with what if I see dark things what if I see ghosts I don't want to see dead people so I get a lot of that and I tell people you get to choose what realms you want to connect with mm-hmm. I will throw them all out over the course of our training and I will introduce you to the different realms and then you get to decide which ones you want to work with you don't have to work with anyone that you don't want to work with in the spirit world Um, but it can be scary and sometimes when we're working with certain helpers we might not feel worthy because they're so big and so beautiful and so divine and so bright that we feel unworthy and some people can't access them because they're not vibrationally aligned right so when we start moving up um dimensionally where we're like five six seven eight nine ten eleven dimensions some people are still <laughs> like okay i'm trickling in a fifth dimension i feel comfortable here and but but i can't quite reach 11 you know so yeah. allowing people to also be where they are to grow and evolve into higher frequency versions of their self and then as you grow the helpers that you work with will also shift and evolve and it's done that for me and yeah. it does it for a lot of the people that that I work with. But my favorite is, no matter if it's Reiki or shaman training, every session, I have at least one person come out of a journey, because I do journeys for both Reiki and shaman. I have at least one person come out of a journey who does not believe what they saw. And they're like, disoriented. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, I think I saw Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I kid you not, every single session, one person who totally doesn't believe in God, Jesus, any like the agnostic atheist person always sees Jesus in a session. And it's hilarious because Jesus practiced Reiki. That was his thing. The The hands healing, right? Mm -hmm. That was Jesus's thing. He studied with other cultures and traditions, right? And then he traveled sharing it. But he told people, he's like, I I am not the founder of this and I am not some messiah. We all can do this, but people attach that title to him. So today we all, this is what he wanted everyone to know. We all have the ability to channel God's light, to channel chi, prana, healing energy, whatever you want to call it. We all have the ability to channel it for ourselves, for our families, for our animals, for our communities, for the world. We all can channel it if we choose to. Yeah, right. it's um, really amazing, like hearing you say, because I'm thinking about even, I want to say for some people, it's funny, first of all, the acknowledgement of a lot of times people think like, oh, that, that being that essence, that consciousness couldn't come in for me, like a little me. But <laughs> aside from that, also, the interesting thing of like, say, for example, you decided to work with the angelic realm. And there may be some skepticism, there may be some like, I don't know, whatever feeling you have around it. But one thing I noticed personally, at first, 
when I came into this work, because there was a lot of talk about the angels, especially because back then those angel cards were so popular. It was like angel, 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 everything. And I was like, ah, I don't work with the angels. But I would do Reiki sessions on people and I would feel the presence of like an angel and I would hear the name of it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I still was so determined, like I do not work with the angelic realm, not because I had anything against them. I just didn't think they were who I worked with. Do you know what I mean? And so then um, when I started learning other traditions and practices, I started working with calling in the four directions. And so then I would very intentionally call in the archangels associated with the four directions and the elements and all the, (laughs) and it was the repetition, the -hmm. repetition of the acknowledgement again and again, that started to dissolve my illusion of separation from them and even dissolve my stories around what it meant to work with them or to be in connection, you know, and then the presence of them became so palpable and my ideas of them were like thrown out the window. So right. it's very interesting to what happens in the repetition with whatever guides you end up totally. working with. Totally. Yeah. And there's so many, there's so many, and it's really fun to, be curious, you know, set your intentions to work with higher vibrational helpers, be curious, see who shows up to help you ask for help with a specific matter. And then see who shows up, you can call on a specific guide, or you can say, Hey, I'm struggling with uh, teaching, or I'm struggling with parenting, you know, like universe, God, send me somebody to help me with this. And in the times when I've done that, I've met guides, helpers, that I did not previously know about, but mm-hmm. were legit figures. And it would be, I would see them. I would see what they look like. And then I'd have a sense of their culture. They'd tell me what they were helping me with. And I have everyone in shaman training, get the encyclopedia of spirits. Yeah. I'll go to the book and be like, who did I just see? And I remember <laughs> in one of my trainings, I saw this African, like bald, male figure with this white robes and a sword and he was on this white horse and all the things he was telling me who he was helping me with and I'm like I have no idea who this is right uh-huh. and he had the arm cuffs like gold he was decked out and I'm explaining it to the group and one woman in the group um who she's Colombian she said oh that's Obatala and I was like what mm-hmm. and so she told me about Obatala and I was like you're kidding me that makes total sense why I saw him and I read up on him and I started to understand that he was supporting me with teaching, with training, with being a leader in my community. And I had no idea who this figure was. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's literally what happened to site. When I started, I kept having Egyptian deities come and I didn't know who they were. And so I had to Google like the one that has this head and did it, you know, (laughs) and they just kept showing up the same ones again and again. And so that's why I have like Egyptian, everything around now. Um, But the Orishas right at the start of COVID came into my meditations and I was totally unfamiliar with them and then went down this path and I was like, what? And yeah. So I believe it. It's, it's we wild. Have all Same thing. It is. It's wild. Okay. But this, I have to ask you, cause I know I, I can't take you yeah. all day, although I love to, so you have been doing this work for some time and now you're having this new program called yeah. the new soul medicine. Yes. So, well, not the new, but soul yes, medicine. I like that. <laughs> and <though>. so <laughs> the new soul medicine, but could you tell us a bit about soul medicine 
the site where everyone can connect with you? Because, you know, I was laughing when you said, you know, if you send out a broadcast and ask for help, who knows who will show up? And I'm thinking like, for how many people listening, you are that answer to the call. You know what I mean? Like how many people are like, oh my God, she's saying everything I've been asking about. And uh, you're welcome. Yes. Um, But can you tell us about soul medicine and how people can connect with you? Yeah, I love that. So soul medicine is for me eight years ago, right? So me at these moments when I was going through the dark night of the soul, when I was going through the big transitions, the tower moments, it's for women that are experiencing those tower moments in life right now, and they need help, they need a lifeline. And so um, I actually started the program probably almost seven years ago, not too long into my practice. And it started as a small in-person group that I kind of wrote up a six week program, And I was asked to do it because I was going to be speaking at an event. And they were like, can you offer a program for people that attend this event that they can sign up for after? So on the fly, I just wrote it up real quick. And then I had people sign up and I started doing it. I I actually co-owned a wellness studio prior to COVID. So um, in various spaces, I would host these in-person soul medicine groups for women. And we would deep dive and do the work together because oftentimes we are doing this healing work alone and it feels very lonely and we sometimes don't know what to do, where to go. We feel overwhelmed. We're reading all these books, but we're not fully integrating or implementing the things that we're reading and being guided to do. And we're having a lot of self doubt. (laughs) Okay. So soul medicine was a way for me to step-by-step guide women through that transitional tower moment, through their spiritual awakening, also a way to provide some relief, some comfort, some soothing. You asked me, how did I feel when I found those things? I felt relief. So my intention with soul medicine is just like any medicine gives you relief, right? right? When you have a headache, when you're hurting, you go, you take medicine today. Most people do, even if it's essential oils, You take some form of either natural, herbal, or pharmaceutical medicine to find relief in the moment, like right now you need it. So over the years with COVID, I was forced to offer it online, (laughs) my group. So I tried the six-week group online for a few rounds. And then Spirit was like, why don't you make it an ongoing thing all year long? I was like, okay. So I started just offering my live group sessions. People could either purchase a membership or they could pay to drop in at any session. Uh, I was doing one a week. Then I was doing two a week. Now I'm up to three a week. Next week, we are going to have probably (laughs) five or six a week. So we have different facilitators now that I've trained in my ways (laughs) and Mm -hmm. they're incredibly gifted shamans. And so I have different facilitators leading groups. I also developed a boot camp which is a 12 week way to deep dive and actually manifest some breakthrough. It's called breakthrough Boot Camp, And so I have women that will come together at the start of it. We stay together for 12 weeks. We have weekly group zooms. We do some mini sessions one-on-one and we manifest incredible stuff in our lives. Yes. I had one woman, she did it last year, came back this year, she had manifested. She wanted, she thought she was crazy and she just like wrote it down. She wanted to find a guy and she wanted to travel with him, be a nomad, like a traveling nomad. Right now, as we speak, she's been a couple of weeks on the road with this guy, road tripping, living all over the country. She's in California right now. 
Um, so she's like, I can't believe it. I actually, <laughs> and he's paying for the trip. <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah. So things like that. My house was one of my fun manifestations. I'm in my dream house. Um, and I, and I've practiced the art of manifesting for years. And so I have created, and I think of it as we are the creator drawing, crafting. I'm an artist at heart. So I'm constantly wanting to craft a beautiful life for myself, for my family it's an ongoing art practice. So the boot camps, the live groups, we get together, we heal, we let go of the old beliefs, the old stories, we write new stories, we do a lot of scripting, and we're actually integrating and implementing together lifetime, not just reading books about it, or just talking about it, but we're actually doing the work together every single week. Uh, so that's Soul Medicine, and it, it the new website is soulmedicine.studio, and I'm super excited because it's beautiful. It actually launches next week. That is amazing. I'm actually thinking, like, maybe one day it can work something out with you to be a guest in my alchemy circle, because we oh. similarly, we meet twice a week, but we do practices together, and oh. yeah, I'll ask you about that offline. I love that. Okay, so for people who are listening and they're like, yeah, Athena is my vibe. Like I need to connect with her right away. What are the best ways to connect with you? Website, socials? Yeah, so um, it's hard to say because I have two websites, but the soulmedicine.studio site is a great way to connect. Um, There will be an informational contact button on the site. By the time this launches, that site will be up because it's going to launch on July 17th. Um, also, my website's been in the mix for a long time. Um, it's seasideshaman.com. So you can learn more about me specifically. Also, I do do speaking engagements. I guest instruct on retreats. I host my own retreats. So there's some information about that as well. If someone were listening and wanted to have me speak to their group or join in on a retreat, that's something I love to do. I love to travel. Um, so all of that is on the seasideshaman.com, not the seasideshaman.com, sorry, www.seasideshaman.com. I said the, which can be confusing. Um, and then on Instagram, it is the seaside shaman yes. at, or at the seaside shaman on Instagram. And I have a YouTube, I have links to the YouTube on both my website and my Instagram. Um, and I'm starting to get more active on there. I have, like I said, I have five kids, so I'm not doing a whole lot of YouTube filming. But yeah. I tried to get some in when I can. You know, I have to tell you, Athena, because I did go to your YouTube um, prior to us meeting, and I watched the most recent video that was related to, I want to say it had to do with, like, how to, um, it was specific to relationship to energy. Yeah, yeah, knowing when it's time to leave. But I know that you also wrote a book. Yes. This is a horrible goodbye. I'm, I swear we're going to end this interview. I promise. No, you're good. But you you're wrote good. a book in 2019, Leave With Love. And I also was like, wow, that sounds incredible as well. Yeah. Because a lot of people do struggle about the transition yeah. and the ending of relationship, no matter which side of the fence you're on. So yeah. I just want to say, first of all, soulmedicine.studio, also seasideshaman.com. Those links to connect with you will be down in the show description. And you can follow Athena on Instagram at the Seaside Shaman. Again, it'll be in the description. Before we let you go, please tell us about this book, Leave with Love. And if you go to her YouTube, 
what I liked about it was not only were you giving, it wasn't just informative, but you were literally giving people guidance throughout what you were sharing so that they could apply healing to. Yeah. So leave with love. Yeah. Thank you. Um, It's actually everything we've been talking about wrapped into a book, right? So a lot of times when we have those tower moments, we're leaving relationships and moving into a new version of ourselves, And there is this holding period where you don't have any relationships, you're alone. Yeah. And so um, it's really painful. It's really painful leaving the relationship. Sometimes you don't want to. We talked about sometimes things are comfortable and you're not ready to leave. That was my marriage. I loved my husband and I honestly didn't think we were going to separate forever. I was just right. like, maybe we live separately for a year. We can figure it out, come back together. But our souls were done being together in that capacity, right? We were done with those yeah. roles and it needed to happen in order for me to grow in order for him to grow. And so it was a very painful transition, uh, losing my mom, you know, losing a family member, very painful to lose that relationship and to have to leave it. And so the book actually started out as just my kind of random journaling about losing her before I even left my marriage. And then as I was leaving my marriage, I was constantly journaling about what, what, what I was experiencing, what I was thinking about, what I was struggling with, my confusion. And so when it came time for me to write the book, Spirit just said to me, Athena, it's time to finish this book and get it out there. And I was like, oh, I thought, I thought we were gonna do that in like 20 years. <laughs> you know, I thought, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I know you want me to write a book and maybe in another 20, 15, 20 years, we'll do that. And the message was clear. It was like, no, you need to finish it now. People need it. That was what's interesting. That was 2019 that I really, I self-published it. And I didn't really put it out there because I still didn't love the cover. I also was still hiding, didn't really want to be seen by too many people. And the book goes a little bit into the woo-woo. You know, we start to talk about the dark night of the soul, but it's also quite practical. I share practical research uh, from the Heart Math Institute and, and really um, reputable sources on how we can look at certain struggles, certain things happening in our bodies, certain ways of relating to others. But I do go into soul contracts a little bit, understanding like twin flame relationships, how those can be a catalyst to pull you out of that comfortable relationship. And it's extremely confusing because you think you're supposed to be with that person forever. But actually, that's usually not the case, right? Yeah. Um, so, and at the time, I did a lot of twin flame research because I had one of those experiences. And I was like, what is this? That's probably a billion dollar industry in itself. <laughs> so many people invest money in twin flame readers because at that point, you're going through a spiritual awakening. This person shows up, they rip your heart to shreds. If you're leaving your marriage and do it, the twin flame will certainly rip your heart to shreds. And then at that point, you're confused. You're like, I am so confused. I thought I was supposed to be with this person. Literally, that was the thing that I was so certain of. And now I'm not right. So in the book, start to look at some of those relationships, we start to look at how do we redefine the relationships that we've left behind? How do those impact how we view ourselves? And I provide same, same as you said, with my YouTube, I love to share tools, actionable tools and resources. So I provide actionable journaling exercises, meditations, 
Um, I suggest ways to keep yourself busy when you're going through the dark night of the soul and how to find relief when you're feeling so depressed with it. And in the end, the ultimate mission when we're leaving a relationship with love is to move into self-love, right? Because the whole time you're really not there with yourself. You're not loving yourself. You thought for a hot second you were when you're with the twin flame (laughs) a lot of times or, you know, whatever the catalyst was. Uh, the job sometimes it's like a temporary job whatever it was for a hot second you tasted self-love but then it falls apart and you have to literally um unravel or I think that's what you said at the beginning something like unraveling yourself right yeah and you have to recreate yourself in the end with love so there's a lot navigating in that journey yeah and it's it's amazing because what you're saying because people do talk about twin flames a lot but it's crazy like the profound healing that can come from that I think so many people end up disappointed and thinking I don't know what you know if you really believe like oh this is my person ah but if you don't (laughs) resist the blow up of it all the the level of healing that comes is just like beyond anything you can imagine and then there's this more purified heart intelligence for you to then have a very different kind of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, Athena, I could literally speak to you all day. I, I know, enjoyed so this conversation so much. So, so, so much. I have to thank you again for coming to share. And I just want to remind everyone, all of the links to connect with you are down in the show description amazing this was so fun same likewise I would happily do this all day (laughs) yeah thank you You definitely have to come back though because I really would love to have the conversation with you more around um leaving the body and those experiences and what what that's about and oh yes everyone stay tuned for that one yeah Um, so yeah yeah (laughs) But thank you, my love. And for everyone else, thank you for joining us. Be sure to visit Athena at soulmedicine.studio and we will see you next time. Bye for now. Hello, beautiful alchemist. I just want to thank Athena again for coming to share her beautiful work with us, the Seaside Shaman. If you want to learn more about Athena's work, go to seasideshaman.com or soulmedicine.studio. Athena, um, again, I just thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation so much. And um, if you were inspired by anything that she shared, remember, reach out and let her know. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, you can rate it on your favorite podcast platform that really helps us to grow and to reach other energy healers, other practitioners, seekers, energetic alchemists. Um, yeah, and I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And don't forget to go to my website, theenergeticalchemist.com, download your free access to 22 Days of Transformation, as well as Creating with the Moon and Stars, just by signing up for the newsletter. You can also download the Energetic Alchemist app and register for the upcoming class, which is called the Ultimate Healing Guide. So I look forward to seeing you, meeting you, working with you. But in any case, I hope you enjoy the content and that it will support you in your path of energetic alchemy. That is all for today. Have a beautiful day and remember to always journey in love.